this episode of the Critical Oxygen Podcast. To me, the guy who ran, who's capable of running 210, but ran 220 because he didn't push as hard as he could have versus the guy who ran five hours and he could not have run 459, like he gave it everything. The latter was more successful than the former. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Critical Oxygen Podcast, where we help you optimize your physiology and maximize your athletic potential. I'm your host, Phil Batterson, and today we're joined by David Melman, who is an entrepreneur, investor, and avid endurance athlete, where we're going to discuss how you as an age grouper can use technology within endurance sport. David, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Phil. Excited to be here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, David and I met, um, I think, like just just on Instagram, right? <laughs> You, yeah. you reached out to me, you were looking for a little bit of guidance, I think within the, uh, your, was it your first marathon? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. so I didn't even know so, that you were working with Moxie at the time. So it was, uh, it was co total coincidental. It, and it worked out, you know, it was, it was coincidental to it, to both of our benefits because, um, he, he, at the time was, was really ingrained in some, some technological stuff. And, uh, I, I work for Moxie monitor, which is a near infrared spectroscopy company for those of you that don't know, but I also have, you know, my critical O2, uh, Instagram where it was a little bit different. It's a little bit, you know, more based on educating people on how to kind of optimize their physiology. So he reached out to me and was like, Hey, I need some help optimizing my physiology <laughs> and it's literally in your tagline. So here we are. So I had to get him on the, on the show because, uh, David is one of those people who I think, you know, goes 110% into whatever, you know, it is that he's trying to pursue. And at the time he was trying to pursue his first marathon and now has since, uh, you, you know, crushed, crushed his second marathon <laughs> right in Chicago. And, um, you know, he, I, I think you, 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 utilize technology in the correct way where I think a lot of people, they get technology. It's not really utilized in the correct way. And then people are like, oh, well, this stuff is, is, is useless or, or, or not worth my time. So I wanted to get you on. And I, I think where we can start is just how, how did you get into, you know, say, say marathon running? Like what, what was the impetus that actually like yeah. guided you there? So it was, it was pretty random. Um, I'm 41 now and I ran my first marathon, uh, you know, at 40. Um, I spent most of my early, you know, most of my career, uh, sitting behind a desk using Microsoft Excel, eating, you know, two, if I was lucky, usually three meals a day at my desk, uh, pretty sedentary, not the healthiest lifestyle. I was living in New York city at the time. A uh, lot of, you know, late nights, either working or being out with friends, um, not a lot of uh, physical activity going on. And I'd never really been one for any sort of endurance and especially any kind of running. I played lacrosse um, relatively seriously as a kid all throughout high school. I um, was going to play in college before an injury. Um and uh, I chose to be goalie in, in seventh grade. So I basically traded people hurling hard rubber balls at me as, as, as hard as they could in exchange for running. Um, right, right. So I, I, I acted to say I actively avoided running um, is probably an understatement. Um, when I got to my late 30s or I guess mid to late 30s, um, you know, life catches up with you. I started feeling tired all the time. My, you know, different things started to ache and, you know, were sore. And I just was, 
was not feeling great. I decided I was going to make a change in my life and, 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 you know, pick up some, some physical fitness, uh, activities. I was going to start to lift weights and, and I've literally spent my entire life avoiding all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I was the guy who carried, you know, two duffel bags from the curb to the airport check-in and was like, this is what it's like to be an Olympian, you know, like <laughs> I, I've, I've, I've crushed yeah. it. Like I don't need to smell a gym, you know? Um, and I started doing that. I got, as you said, like I'm a 110% or zero type of guy. And I got a nutritionist like, you know, almost immediately. And like, I hired a trainer and I was, because the, the background that I had from, from my friends working out was that they worked out, so that they could basically treat their bodies like, you know, human garbage containers on the weekends and stuff like that and maintain some sort of aesthetic physique. And and mm-hmm. that was, the, I mean, I was in, engaged at the time, I'm obviously now married. Um, that wasn't about it. And I wasn't, I didn't want to do things that were antithetical to the work that I was doing. I wasn't going to work up, wake up early and, you know, do all this stuff to take two steps forward then to just treat my body terribly. And, you know, cause even, you know, save, you know, Gustav Eden and all those guys, the, 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 even the most active amateurs are training, you know, teens hours a week. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's a small percentage of your day is, is actually spent training. And there's this massive majority where you can undo a lot of that stuff. So I wanted to make sure that how I was living my life was in accordance with or accretive to the work that I was putting in, in the, in the gym. And, and I became pretty obsessed with it. And, I, and I'm a data person by nature. I work in finance and, and I've been an analyst my whole life. So not the, not a mathematician, but I, I look for meaning and reason in things. So mm-hmm. fast forward, Pat, pandemic came, got a Peloton, like all the typical things that everyone else did. Um, we were we spent the first summer of, of the pandemic out at my wife's family's uh, summer home, and, and there was no Peloton there. And I started riding a family bike just up and down this path. And next thing I knew, I was riding 15 miles, then 20 miles, then 25 miles a few times a week, and just sort of started to see how far can I go. And I wasn't keeping pace. I didn't know what you know Garmin or Coros was or anything mm-hmm. like that. I I had a Whoop. Um, and, and I was tracking, you know, my, my distance and my exertion through that. Um, fast forward a little bit more, uh, we moved down to Miami. I'm standing on the beach with my then, you know, one and a half year old son. And we see these distance swimmers coming in and I'm like, these guys, we've been here for like 45 minutes and they were not here. They not, you know, they were gone when we got here. Like they've been swimming a long time. And I just walked up to one of them and I was like, how far did you swim? I've guessed. And he was like, oh, it changes, whatever. Uh, today we swam 5,000 yards or meters. I don't remember Jeez. what he said. And I was like, that seems impossibly far, you know, <laughs> yeah. like in my head, I'm doing the mental math. I'm like, oh my God, you know, like that's almost three miles. Like, yeah. you know, like this is, these people are insane. I was about to turn 40. I started thinking, I was like, I wonder how far I could swim. And then I was like, I, I, I bike on the Peloton all the time. Like maybe I'll do a triathlon. I had a friend who was a triathlete who's done you know, raced Kona and, and as an age grouper and, and has done 10 Ironman races and so on and so forth. I called him up. I said, I have four months to my the 40th birthday. Can I do a, a race before that? And he said, not an Ironman. And I said, no, 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 like an Olympic distance. He goes, yeah, but you have to train really hard, et cetera, et cetera. He introduced me to his coach. Um, 
I just fell in love with the training. Like I fell in love with the routine. I fell in love with the very steep learning curve uh, and improvement mm -hmm. curve in the beginning coming from, you know, sedentary or even just riding a Peloton a few days a week to running, biking and swimming. Um, and so I, I, I did that first triathlon um, uh, a month before my 40th birthday. And much to my surprise, the, I was like, I'll just suffer through the 10K, like the running part of it. Like, mm -hmm. I'll hate it. I'll never run again after that. I remember going out for my first run right by our house here in Florida. I said I was going to run three miles at eight minute pace. I had no idea what eight minute pace meant relative to like my, you know, critical velocity or anything like that. I got a mile and a half in. I felt like I was going to throw up. My legs felt like they were going to fall off. I walked home like, you know, <laughs> slump shoulders. Uh, as you said, I just ran the Chicago Marathon um, and averaged eight minutes for exactly eight minutes and one second for 26.2 months. So like the, that that ramp is, is always exciting. Mm -hmm. um, but much to my surprise, I fell in love with the running and I was like, I don't want to cycle on the roads anymore. Swimming was never what I wanted to do much of. Yeah. And before I even ran, did compete in the triathlon, I said, I want to run a marathon. Um, and I'm just obsessed with this idea of optimizing my potential and, and mm -hmm. seeing how far I can go. Um, and we can dive into sort of what that means and, and, and why I think it's most important to, you know, people say a lot of runners and, and endurance athletes say, you know, um, that comparison is the thief of joy. Mm -hmm. Um, I really think that comparison is the thief of progress. You know, it just doesn't matter to me what, anyone else runs anymore. I used to look at Strava and look at other people's paces and I wonder why they're doing that workout and, oh, I can run this pace, but they can't. And then why are they doing this? And like, it just doesn't matter if the, the goal is to lay, leave it all out there on the race day um, mm -hmm. and, and to do the best that you can possibly do. When, you know, from a, from a finance perspective, it's about, you know, operations. They talk about capacity utilization, right? Like a factory is running at 80% of capacity. My goal is to run a race at 100% capacity utilization or as close as I can possibly get to that number, whether that's a five hour marathon or, you know, obviously not me, but someone's running a two hour marathon, you know, like mm -hmm. to me, the guy who ran, who's capable of running 210, but ran 220 because he didn't push as hard as he could have versus the guy who ran five hours and he could not have run 459 like he gave it everything the latter was more successful than the former mm -hmm. because he left everything out there he gave it everything he had he maximized his potential so for me it's all about maximizing that potential and that's obviously the segue into working with people like you and trying to figure mm -hmm. out what physiologically are my limiters or what is my limiter? Um, and how can I train in order to find adaptation with respect to that limiter in order to increase my capabilities there? Mm -hmm. And um, I, I just, I love the data. I think a lot of people, I'm in no shape or position to be criticizing anyone else's training nor would I ever want to, but I think a lot of people get it wrong. You know, and and, and it, there's vanity involved. There's self uh, self doubt involved. That's that sort of 
permeates into like self-abuse in a lot of cases. Um, and, you know, whether it's zones or paces or whatever, I think a lot of people are probably training way too hard um, or too hard too often. Yeah. Um, and so I've, I've just fallen in love with this idea of, of, you know, optimizing myself and following people like you and um, a bunch of other, you know, physiologists and coaches and stuff like that. That's a fan. That's fantastic. I, I love your, your outlook on, I'm trying to maximize my, you know, my, my what was the, what was the financial term that you were talking that you said? Oh, capacity utilization. Yeah. 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 I'm trying to get to a hundred percent capacity utilization and that's your marker of success. Am I getting, I can't run a 240. I'm yeah. never going to run a 240. Well, like it's, 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 it's impossible. Well, like, right. So well, I, maybe not impossible. I, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to correct you there. And I'm going to say it's, <laughs> it's probably not impossible, but maybe right now, maybe in the physiological right. body that you have at this moment, it's right. impossible. Right. But if, if you continue to do exactly what you're doing, you know, contacting the, the, you know, professionals in the field, talking to individuals and getting new insights and then, and then taking a pragmatic approach to training as opposed to just being like, Oh, I saw what this pro was doing. So I'm going to emulate that. And we can, we can talk about how that's kind yeah. of a messed up mindset for a lot of us, but, um, it's, it's how do you get the most out of your body on any given day? And, and yep. what is the best for your body on that given day? Cause it's most of the time, like you were saying, people train too hard too often. And then that mm -hmm. results in them, you know, plateauing, getting injured, getting sick, uh, you know, other things along those lines. So, you know, perhaps by backing off or just learning, you know, when to back off, what sort of signals, you know, can you use? And this is where technology, I do, I think plays a really Absolutely. major role is it gives you the ability to calibrate or recalibrate the way that you interact with your body with what is actually being told to you on your watch, on your phone, whatever that is. Yeah. I think human, the human ability to self-assess is generally pretty bad, <laughs> right? And, and, and I so I think that that's true. I also think that the metrics with which someone describes or assesses how they feel and your physiological readiness or adaptation are two very different things, mm -hmm. right? So I think the ability to to assess them is wrong. And I think people are looking at the wrong things in general. Like I woke up feeling tired today. That doesn't mean that I do not have the, that I did not have the proper recovery to go out and run a threshold session mm -hmm. or something like that. It just means that I'm a little tired today. Conversely, I woke up, I jumped out of bed, ready to tackle the day does not mean that my body is ready to go run. You know, I, I work out my way. I, I do my workouts on Wednesdays. They're hard, mm -hmm. right? Like I go, I go hard. I am not, you know, like hands on knees falling over, you know, but like there's big volume in those days. There's, you know, like Wednesdays are usually a warm up, a relatively long tempo, intervals, which is a standard, you know, running thing, tempo into intervals, and then back to a tempo. Mm -hmm. Like, like it's a five mile tempo, you know, six by 800 meters, and then a three mile tempo after that, obviously with rest in between, like you cannot will your way to adaptability. Mm 
mm-hmm. right? You you cannot say, and I think that's the big mistake that people make is, like you just said, like they look at the pros, right? Mm-hmm. Like what are these people doing? I think you know we were we were chatting offline about this, but like. You know, there, there's a Canadian marathon record holder who just came out yesterday in advance of the New York City Marathon saying that he runs 170 to 180 miles a week. Uh, Kelvin Kipton, who just set the world record in Chicago, um, who <laughs> my my three and a half year old son graciously asked me when I got home, was I just behind that guy? <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah. yeah, I was I was just behind. I was, I was, I was like a little, a little, a little bit behind him. <laughs> yeah. um, he was like on a plane by the time I finished. Um, but uh, you know, he runs 180 miles a week. Like, so I think this like there's this misguided concept that if some of something is good, then more of it has to be better, mm-hmm. right? And that you're on a vector when in fact it's probably parabolic, right? Yeah. There's a point where the return is great. There's a point where the return is still positive, although it is less than it was at a, at a lower level. There's a point where it's plateaued and there's absolutely no incremental return. And then there's a point where it's actually detrimental mm-hmm. to you. And so you see Molly Seidel, Kira D'Amato, any of these incredible women, hands on knees, you know, in Flagstaff or wherever they are, hands on knees, like if I had to run 10 more feet, I'd die. And going and and the average age group are saying that's how I should feel at the end of my session. I could not disagree with that more strongly. Right, their body's ability to a get close to that one hundred percent capacity utilization in training and recover mm-hmm. is so significantly greater than mine or maybe yours or the average person's, you know, we, we I've talked a lot about triathletes, you know, you know, Christian and Gustav, like those guys, they can recover so much better just through sheer reps and volume over years and years and years. They also don't have jobs. Like they, mm-hmm. that is their job. They sleep like, and if you listen to them talk, it's like I am training or I'm sleeping, mm-hmm. you know, or I'm eating basically, you know, like that's it. And so it's not a question of if you're a coach or something like that, like it's not a question of same workout, slower pace mm-hmm. for the slower runner. The volume is different. The recovery times are different. It's just it's a totally different thing. And, and, and people think that if I train harder or train more, I'm going to run a marathon faster. Mm-hmm. And it's just not. I mean, it's it, it's not the case. It's yeah. just it's simply anatomically, physiologically incorrect. Yeah, or or the idea that if I just train as close to what this professional is doing, I, I'll get better in in that sense. And you know, you you said it exactly. Uh, that fractional utilization is it's much higher in in these elite level individuals because they've been training for so much longer. Like I can almost guarantee sure. you, like. Uh, Calvin Kiptum and uh, what? Oh shoot! What's the Cam Cam Levin? I can't remember his name. Cam Levin. Yeah. yeah, he. Those guys. They're so. If we're talking about like you know physiological thresholds and stuff, their VO two max is you know is really high, but their second yeah. threshold is probably butted up almost to that right VO2 up max. It. So when yeah. when they go from their second threshold to VO two max, it's it's not that much more in terms of like fatigue accumulation. Right. Whereas for me and yes. you our VO two max, you know, is, is, is increasing. Right. But yes, our second threshold is, is substantially lower than that. So that gap between our second threshold and our VO two max is 
any work that we start to do closer to VO2 max is just going to be that exponential kind of kind of creep up yep. to that that fatigue, right? Um, uh, then they it's going to make it harder run, to recover. But the, yes, go ahead. Yeah, they also run their their easy runs easy. I see. I cannot tell you how many people I see on Strava. And they say, you know, and I know them like personally, and I know what their marathon pace is and I'm making up numbers. This is a three thirty marathoner. So it's eight minutes mm-hmm. and they go, they'll post something easy, eight, easy, 10 miles, whatever. And it's like at eight twenty four, mm-hmm. And I'm like, there's nothing easy about that for you. That's your marathon pace. Yeah. That's, 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 that's a, a quarter of a standard deviation away from your marathon pace. Mm-hmm. Like, there's nothing, easy, but for whatever reason, they don't want to post a slower time. They don't. They don't have enough time to run, you know, that slow and, and do the same amount of volume. Whatever it may be, right? But you can't fool your body. Mm-hmm. You know, like you, you just you just can't. And at some point, the rent is due. Yep. You know, and 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 that's injury. That's blow up. That's that's you know mental fatigue yeah. it, it, it's burnout it's something you cannot push your body you know um alan cousins who, who we both you know know of obviously like you know stress plus rest and you said you've told me this a million times right mm-hmm. like stress is the stress is the rest is just as important as the stress yeah. Yeah. and if you're and that rest doesn't mean lying in a cryo chamber ice bath with you know, leg sleeves on and all of the stuff. It doesn't mean it, the rest is part of the easy running and all of that mm-hmm. stuff too. And the cross training and all of that stuff, getting, letting your body, you know, recover is, is massively important. And stress, similarly, stress is not just all out, you know, 5k pace or faster, mm-hmm. right? If you're running, if you're, if your easy run should be two to three minutes slower than your marathon pace based on whatever your limiter is, your heart rate or, or, you know, whatever you determine or, or you have someone like, like you determined for you. Um, and you're running, let's say, let's say your marathon pace is eight minutes and your slow pace should be, you know, to stay in zone two on heart rate then the five scale, five zone scale should be sub 135. And that equates to roughly 10 minutes. And I want to get into that in a second, but like running at 9.15 is too much stress on your body. It, it, it is, it's more like a chronic stress than an acute stress, but it's still too much stress. That's, yes, I'm a, I, want to, I want to dive into that because something that I talk about, uh, I've at least talked about the, it once on this podcast is exercise, right, is a, is a massive stress. Like if we actually like, like Mm -hmm. look at all the different physiological characteristics that are happening, if you, if you just told somebody, Hey, this person's heart rate is 180, their breathing rate is this, their, uh, you know, their lactate is this, their, uh, you know, blood acidosis is, is plummeting. Like people, if you, if you didn't know they were exercising, you'd be like, Oh my gosh, this person is going to die. Dying. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. The, the, but the difference is, is that, exercise is an acute stress. It goes away. It should go Mm -hmm. away. Whereas, uh, things like excess adipose tissue having, or Mm -hmm. developing, you know, high blood glucose for extended periods of time. Those are chronic stresses that then the area under the curve for those stresses adds up to the point where your body can't recover from it. It never gets, it never gets alleviation from it. And what you just said with this idea that, you know, when people run too, too hard, too often, 
for their own physiology, you're changing that acute stress to more of a chronic stress. To a chronic stress, exactly. And so so then you're minimizing your body's ability to recover. And it, another thing you said is you cannot will your way to adaptability. You you have to stress stress your body because that's gonna that's actually going to decrease performance. Then you have to rest and recover enough mm -hmm. to have super compensation and actually get better. So like the stock market and finances, if you look at over time, right, the stock market trend is going up, but every day, you know, it's it's bouncing all over the place. That's exactly how your physiology is when you're training, but the trajectory should be positive if you're actually implementing it correctly. I think of the I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think of it as, um, you know, life is a sine wave, right? It, it's cyclical. To your point, you're hoping that you're, you're the mathematician, not me, but the, the, the it's not the slope, but, you know, the trajectory of that sine wave. And that, so it, it's going, it's like this, yeah. it's going sine wave, but going up. Each peak is higher or, or not. It's not, it's not going to be that uniform, obviously. So I absolutely agree. It's a it is a cyclical thing that's hopefully has a positive general trend line. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting is if you look at, at if you zoomed out and you looked at it, this may be like you know training cycles, right? So like training marathon recovery, training marathon recovery. Tra if you zoom in, that line is composed of micro sine waves. Yeah. So within one block, there's week three was bad, week four was good, week five was okay, week six was bad, you know? Yep. So like, it's it's sort of like this image of like, you zoom in and then that big sine wave is made up of a bunch of little sine waves, which is also made up of each day and then each hour and then, you know, each intra workout, mm -hmm. right? Like you have a 20 mile workout, do all 20 miles feel the same under zero circumstances? Is that possible? Nope. Right. So that's the sine wave of this workout. It's part of a sine wave of a week, which is part of a sine wave of a month, which is part of a sine wave of a training block, which is part of a sine wave of your life as a runner. Yep. Right. Yep. I love and, that. And you just have to look at it cyclically. And for someone like me, I think I probably jumped the shark a little bit with technology because I believed that if I did everything right and trained properly and exactly on my thing, then the outcome of the race was almost a foregone conclusion, mm. right? I've, I've, I've rested. I've done this. Da, da. My grandfather um, <laughs> used to love professional horse racing. And I remember being a kid and saying like, well, if this horse is a, I don't know what the numbers were, you know, like a two to one and that horse is a 20 to one, like clearly the 20 to one has no chance, you know, like this is a much better horse. Mm -hmm. And he always used to say, well, that's why they run the race, mm -hmm. you know, because anything can happen on race day. Mm -hmm. And I sort of thought, forgot about that where it's like, okay, all you need to do is train according to a plan eat the right stuff, sleep the right amount, run the right amount at the right paces. And you will figure out this critical velocity, which will, you can then just go on race day and just set it and forget it yeah. and run that. And you, those are all the inputs. And then it's just a mathematical equation. I think that's one of the shortcomings or not, I shouldn't say shortcomings of technology, but I think it's one of the shortcomings of the way people use technology mm -hmm. because you, that is a, that is like a baseline all else equal. Mm -hmm. I live in Miami. It is 95 degrees with 90% humidity in the summer. To assume 
that that those numbers are going to be the same as they would be in you know Chicago, Montana and, in the winter, yeah. or Chicago, or whatever, is just lunacy, obviously. But I also the the really important thing about that around technology, I think, and we can obviously dive into this more. And I'm not telling you anything you don't know because you probably taught me most of this stuff. <laughs> is people are obsessed with output metrics. Yes. And they really should be focused on the input metrics. Mm -hmm. Everyone wants to look at the speedometer. Mm -hmm. How fast is this car going? What you should be looking at in training, not in racing, in training, is how much effort am I putting in? And how much effort does it take to create a certain output, whether that's pace or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And people go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I get it. Like, heart rate. And then they look down at their watch, and they that number's way too slow for them. And then they just ignore and it. And they ignore it, yep. right? Or they go, my, in, my, in order to stay in zone two, I need to be at 12 minutes or eight minutes. Or, you know, there are some runners whose zone two is probably seven minutes yeah, or, or, you know, lower than or that. Or on for, the flip side, walking, right? Or walking, yeah. sure, yeah. I, I, I know a really great um, coach uh, who, who you know who works a lot with breathing, um, and he says that a lot of his like age groupers, he coaches triathletes, he said a lot of his age groupers, he tells them to find the flattest area that they can, which is usually actually a shopping mall, mm -hmm. um, and just walk around for two or three hours. Yeah. Because for, for people who are, for, who are, who are not – adapted athletes right the untrained athlete um zone two is really hard to get into i mean i have no there's no shame in my paces i ran a marathon at eight minute pace over the summer down here it's super hot there were many days when zone two was 12 minutes a mile mm -hmm. it feels like i'm going backwards mm -hmm. it is so boring it is so tedious but again what is your goal? Yeah. If your goal is truly to run the fastest race that you can and get to that 100% capacity utilization, you cannot will your way to it. You cannot trick your body. You have to do what is necessary to get the physiological adaptations. Mm -hmm. Saying, I know I have to run at 12 minutes, but I'm just going to run at 10 minutes because I don't want to be out here as long. That's your choice. But don't expect the progress to be made yeah. or don't expect the adaptations to occur. Right. It's just, that's not, it's not how it works. I think, and to build off of that, I think in, in the beginning, people can kind of get away with, you know, mm -hmm. going too hard because your, your, your stress bucket. I was literally just talking about this on, on the last podcast Your Your stress bucket is not over full yet. Right. But if you continue and you know, in the beginning, you'll, it's like literally anything you do is going to result in a positive adaptation because you have, you've going, you're going from nothing to something. And, mm -hmm. but if you, if you maintain this idea, then that, oh, if, if only I run faster, I will continue to get better and adapt. You eventually run into issues. And I had this with, um, people on, on my cross country teams in the, in the past where it would be, you know, really talented athletes who would never go slower. They would always be like, right. okay, well, I'm going to run my tempo runs and I'm going to be in the front and I'm going to run my, uh, slow runs and I'm going to be in the front. And then we get to our, our interval workouts and they would be the first ones to tap out because they were just always mm -hmm. burning the candle at both ends. And look at Ryan Hall. 
I mean, he talks about it in his book, Run the Mile That You're In. I mean, U.S. marathon record holder, U.S. half marathon record holder. I think both of those records still stand and have stood for a while. He talks about it. He would come back from summer and crush everyone on his team at Stanford in workouts mm-hmm. for the first two months of the season and then get absolutely destroyed by them by the time like the big meets were coming around mm-hmm. because his body was shot. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to what my my first running coach, um, this guy, Nick, who's an incredible coach and, a, and an even better human being, um, if possible, um, used to say to me all the time because I was obsessed with those numbers because it's extrapolatory for a lot of people. If I don't, if I can't run a, set, a five mile, 730, I'm sorry, yeah, five mile, 730 tempo followed by this, followed by that, it means that I'm not going to be able to run a 330, Mm -hmm. right? And so people can't help but extrapolate that. And he would always say to me, you're not proving fitness in your workouts. Mm -hmm. You're building fitness. Proving fitness comes on race day and race day only. Mm -hmm. And if you're trying to prove fitness in your workouts, you are not getting the stress and the adaptation that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I mean, I could go on, you know, Alexia Pappas talks about it all the time. The third, a third, a third, a third of your workouts are going to be killer. A third are going to be fine. And a third are going to suck. Yep. And you can't just take that last data point. And I am still wrangling with this a lot. I'll go out and I'll crush a workout. I go, three thirties in the back. Right. I go out and I can't make it through a workout. And I go, I don't know if I can run four hours. Like what's the point, mm-hmm. you know, like, and, and that's that to your point about technology, like that's the big, and the reason that people do that is going back to what we we're just talking about. They're focused on the output. Mm-hmm. This time I wasn't able to do this time. Were you able to get this? And that's where sort of where like the, the science meets the art. Were you able to get that, you know, RPE, that perceived exertion? Were you able to get to where, where it felt like it's supposed to feel mm-hmm at mile 16 of a marathon, at mile 20 of a marathon, it doesn't matter whether that's eight minutes or six minutes or 12 minutes. The goal of the training is to get yourself to to that point and become accustomed to the feeling Mm -hmm. of that amount of stress, regardless of, of, of the output of that. So that's why I always say like, you know, focus on the input metrics mm-hmm. not on the output metrics yeah. like is your heart rate you know at 5k pace when it should be a marathon pace does it matter what the pace is right you want your heart rate if that's your if that's the metric they're using to stay at that marathon goal pace heart rate regardless of the time and, and i've done a lot of stuff like i've taken a lot of things off my watch face like i don't look at paces a lot mm-hmm. anymore um because it's it's very hard, you know. You go out and you tell yourself, "Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave it on there, but I'm, I'm not yeah. going to care what it says." Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to. It's supposed at it. to be no, and, and you're just like, oh, you know, like out of the corner of your eye, and, and it says you're supposed to be running at six thirty. You're supposed to be doing six thirties, like my, that's my five k pace, and it's six forty five. You're like, oh, better speed it up, yeah. even though you're... that six forty five feels like it's supposed mm-hmm. to feel mm-hmm. right on a perfect day. That's what a six thirty feels like. Today is not a perfect day, so that's what a six forty five feels like. Right, and and, and if you extrapolate that, the 6.30 on that day feels harder than it should. Yeah. Harder than what you're looking for. Yeah. And, and that's – and people, the ego and the self-assurance of proving your fitness every day, every week, every session, every whatever yeah. is 
one of the biggest killers of, you know, training for, I think, a lot of people. I 100% agree. There's a lot of really awesome uh, things I want to unpack there. So so just as it, it's easier, easier said than done, exactly like what you were saying. I've been um, doing this workout. I just moved to an awesome new property where I have a two-mile out and back. I mm-hmm. go down, it's a mile, and then I can come back up, and it's a mile of a hill. So it's 500 feet of elevation awesome. gain, and I, I love it. It's so great. It's so great. But the problem is, is I wear a stride on my on my shoe mm-hmm. because I wanted to see okay so what is, what is my output, and I have uh, my heart rate monitor on, and then I also time myself on each loop, with the idea mm-hmm. that you know so this is where I, I'm I'm trying to prove my fitness, and I'm not posting right. it anywhere or anything like that, but I'm like okay yeah I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna see you know it normally takes me about seven minutes to get to the bottom, and then I'm like okay well we got to push to the top. And so that's, that's been getting to this, it's this proving fitness of, I have to beat each loop or I have to, I have to beat what I did Wednesday on Saturday. And I, I think that if I, I, going forward now, after this conversation, what I want to do is I want to switch that mentality to just trying to get, you know, that effort in. Like I want it to feel mm-hmm. like a hard tempo effort, but not something where I'm just like absolutely gasping for air when I get mm-hmm. to the top because I, then or, I rest. Yeah, or what does your heart rate get to yeah. or what, or, you know, like what, what is, what is the taxation on your body mm-hmm. from doing that? Yeah. Right. Like that's the goal. We're taxing our body, stressing our body in order to build back stronger. Mm-hmm. Like if you think about it as a mathematical equation, Future fill is current fill times some amount of stress, yep. right? Yeah. The but again, it's parabolic. The more stress doesn't equal the 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 a greater value of future fill, mm-hmm. right? And so you have to look at that. Like I'm thinking about a 500 foot. I mean, I again live in Miami. I run a there's a 10 mile loop that I run that has. Uh, 60 feet of total elevation gain in 10 <laughs> miles. So we're living, we're living in uh, opposite universes yeah. here. Uh, when I was training for New York, I used to have to run over back and forth over a bridge that takes you to Miami beach. Um, and that was the only place that you can find any elevation here. Yeah. Um, and so it's a, it's a very different world, but we deal with extreme heat and extreme humidity and, and stuff like that. And, and it's that same thing. Like, I remember training, you know, fall marathons are hard because we train through the summer here. And I remember talking to my coach and being like, I can't, like, I don't know what I was thinking. I don't have 330 because I couldn't hang on to, to, you know, this, I think it was a 730 for five miles. It's like, I couldn't hang on. He's like, David, that prescription is like on a bluebird day. Mm-hmm. Right. Like you need to alter that, like because 730 in the hellscape that you live in in <laughs> August yep. is a is a seven minute mile like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, you're right. You can't run a seven minute mile for five miles mm-hmm. like or else you'd be a faster runner. You know, I grew up playing a lot of not grew up, but in my post college years, I played a lot of golf. My brother 
is a is an avid avid golfer still and i mean i just remember many rounds of golf with him coming you know we didn't live at home after college but we all lived in new york and seeing my parents and and my my dad is not a golfer but a sports fan and and us like sort of my brother and i'm lamenting around if i would have made that putt and 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 that this and and my father would look at us and go you'd be a better golfer (laughs) you know and like like what do you mean you know like like it's the same thing with running. Like, oh, like if I could run a seven minute, you know, marathon, I'd be a three minute, three hour marathon. Right. Like it's just, it's just, it's just, that's just the reality. And so it, it goes to that wheeling thing. I just want to show that I can do it. And like, you're, you're asking, you're, you're asking your body to do a lot more than is actually prescribed mm-hmm. of it. Right. If you're not taking into account, you know, half of my run was up a 8% grade hill. Mm-hmm. Like, of course you can't run 730 up that hill right. like you can on flat road. Like this doesn't make any sense. And I think that's part of the problem with data. And I think you can get um, a lot of people have enough information to be dangerous and actually it's detrimental to them, mm-hmm. right? Because they don't really know what the data mean or, you know, like, and before I started working with you and other people, I think I was probably just as guilty of this, but like, I have so many friends who wear a whoop or an aura or, you know, and they're like, oh, this means this. And I'm like, what? Yeah. Like, no, no, it doesn't, you know? And, and I don't, I don't, you know, try to tell them it's not my job or they don't care, but like, that's the, that's the danger of a lot of these devices is a people think they're gospel, which they're not from like a a data acquisition standpoint. Mm -hmm. And there's an old saying, you know, in the land of blind men, the one-eyed man is king. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, you have all these people who have just run, you know, just up and down the street for for years with maybe like a, you know, a G-Shock or a Timex Ironman or whatever. And now it's like, oh my God, this thing tells me my HRV and like it has to be accurate. Right. It's like, mm, no, no, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's longitudinally consistent. It's certainly not accurate, but even the interpretation of that data, I guess my point is that data without the proper interpretation can be worse than no data at all. Mm-hmm. And you see runners doing it all the time. My watch told me this, my, 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 my watch told me I'm recovered. Yeah. My, my Garmin watch said my VO two max is 54. And it's going up, right. you know, and it's like, how, how, how did, how did it, yeah. but, but again, how does it possibly know? Yeah. And I a hundred percent agree with that. The, I think, I think the bottom line, or at least what, what I think about data is data is a compass to guide and inform your training. And you need mm-hmm. both that you need both the, the internal and the external variables in order to get, get a better picture, but you need to listen or, or, to have that calibration from those internal variables, whether it's as simple as, you know, using heart rate or a little bit more complicated using blood lactate or nears, you need something that is telling you what your internal uh, load is because that gives you a better idea of what the actual stress internally is. And something, something that I've, I've gotten not, not into like huge heated arguments, but like, you know, moderate arguments with people who are just like, Oh yeah, like I think heart rate is useless because it's so sensitive to the heat. It's so sensitive to if I'm hydrated. It's so sensitive to the you know this that. And the other. I'm like, you mean it, everything that's important to running a marathon? Yeah, it's like oh, it's <laughs> working. 
Like where, yeah, exactly. whereas like power output and speed are not sensitive to that. So, yeah. so people, yeah. So, so people always come to me. They're just like, well, if, if my heart rate or my zone two heart rate is determined at 130, yes, there's probably a little bit of a range, maybe 125 sure. to 135, right? But if you determine your, your zone two heart rate is 130 and then you go out and you run, you know, say for example, here, flat ground, it's 55 degrees, then you're probably going to have a faster output variable than if I came down to mm -hmm. Miami, not heat adapted or anything like that, and then ran one, uh, tried to run at 130 beats per minute at, you know, 90 the degrees. Yeah, 90%. Yeah, it would, the, my pace would have to be lower because the stress on your body is so much higher in order to cool yourself, in order to, uh, you know, maintain adequate blood flow to the skin and other things like that. That Exactly. And, and that is by design, you know, the, that is taking into account your internal load. And yeah, so, so I, I love what you're saying there. I think, I, I certainly think there are times in the season, like times where you should do a workout towards something like pace versus something like the mm -hmm. internal variable. Um, like mm -hmm. there's value in both. But also measuring what's the internal vari what's the internal load for that is also important because then you start to get a picture of, okay, well, my goal is to run you know a three hour marathon. I want to get a BQ qualifier here, right? I need to go do a workout that is going to be close to seven minute pace. It'd be six, mm -hmm. it's six fifty one, right? I I, I think. So, yeah yeah it's it's, it's six fifty something. Yeah. So so what you could do is you could say okay well if I run this 651 pace, you know, at in a, in conditions that are going to be similar to race day, mm -hmm. if my heart rate isn't staying relatively stable over the course of those intervals, then I know internally my physiology is right. not ready for that. At, at least that, you know, on that given day in that given moment. Yeah. So that cardiac drift, right? Mm -hmm. Like I ran the same pace for 15 miles and my heart rate continued to climb the whole time. Like, your body's working too hard. Your body is right? working like harder body, and harder and harder. And then harder yeah. to, to maintain the same pace. Mm -hmm. So like by definition, that's not your steady state. Right. You know, and like I actually have, I think I, I've shared this with you. Like one of my, some of my proudest runs are long, easy runs. And, and I don't remember the term that you had used, but for the opposite of cardiac drift, where, the, where the, you maintain the same pace and your heart rate goes down. Ooh, over time i've actually i've never right. i've never seen that but that that would be I, i'm sorry i'm sorry I, I'm, I'm sorry i misspoke where your heart rate stays the same mm. and your pace increases mm. um right yeah yeah no not your heart rate going down yeah i'm sorry i was gonna but say you're that able would be to run, <laughs> no that would be very impressive where you're able to run at the same heart rate and pick up speed over time mm -hmm. so you're able to run faster at the end at the same heart rate as you were at the beginning like your body is is reacting positively to that, mm -hmm. right? And, and I think the other thing about so I, I, the, the two other things that I would say are number one, I understand it's very hard for a lot of people to do like a real limiter test, right? Like mm -hmm. they don't have access to a VO two master or a moxie monitor or whatever. But I think it's really important for people to take it very seriously because training on the wrong metric if that's not your limiter is not going to help you improve your limiter mm -hmm. right like if your limiter is heart rate so like let's say you and i are both running together and 
you your limiter is heart rate, right? And so you know your 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 zone two heart rate is one thirty, mine is one forty, but my you know SMO two or you know tidal volume or whatever it may be, that's my limiter. By only focusing on my heart rate, I'm not getting the adapt adaptation that I need in my breathing. If I have like uh, you know if 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 I have a, if my limiter is more respiratory, right? You know, and and so I think it's really important because not that you're wasting time or anything like that. But you kind of you're are not optimizing. Yeah, you're, yeah, you you're, kind of are. You're spinning your wheels. Um, and I think that, the, that there's an important distinction, and this is going to sound contradictory, but there's also this concept of like don't major in the minors, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, for the average person, and I don't mean average speed, right? Because I am very average when it comes to speed. I would say I'm I'm not average when it comes to training regimen and 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 um appetite for for data and stuff like that mm-hmm. but like i am not an elite runner a sub elite runner a boston qualifier any of those things i'm a middle of the pack runner um for your average runner just running you know slow easy conversational most of the time and running fast sometimes is going to help you improve, mm-hmm. right? You're going to get faster, fitter, whatever, more adapted just by doing that because it's directionally, there's that Pareto principle, you know, 80-20 mm-hmm. type of thing. The, and if that's your goal, then that's awesome. And you should, and, and you're saying like, it is a mental, emotional stressor for me to have to worry about my heart rate all the time. And da-da. Then you know what? That's what you should do. And you're doing amazing and you should keep doing that. And you should be super proud of yourself. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, and and by the way, the guy who has the newest sneakers and 14 gadgets hooked up to him is no more dedicated and no more deserving of anything that comes from his running than you are, than what comes from yours. Mm -hmm. Like there's no way that that's the case. Um, And, but if your goal is to get that hundred percent capacity utilization, then you really need to the degree or the specificity around which you have your your limiters and your training metrics and all that stuff. The greater the specificity, the greater the improvement. Mm-hmm. Like that's just it, it's a it's a mathematical equation, and you're going to do better. So I understand what they say: don't major in the minors. I think that also is unique to each person, mm-hmm. what their minors are and what their majors are. Right. And, and for me, that is a major, mm-hmm. right? It, like, like worrying about my heart rate on my easy runs, worrying about my SMO2 and my warmups, like th- those are my majors, mm-hmm. right? And, and it may not be someone else's. And that's totally, totally, totally fine. I was talking to um, Alistair Brownlee once, who's the only person ever to win two gold medals in the Olympics in triathlon. Mm-hmm. He's an the nicest guy in the world. And I was talking to him about uh, uh, an idea for a business and and, and, and uh, and just analysis in general. And I said, you know, there are these moms and dads out there who have you know, multiple kids and jobs and, you know, they're trying to run the fastest race that they can or, you know, fastest, complete the fastest triathlon that they can. And for them, you know, it, it, it may not be as important as it is, you know, for you. And he was like, it's way more important for them. 
Like for them to be healthy and feel good and be energized, like I'm playing a game and granted it's his livelihood. It's it's his profession, but he's like, that is for those people being able to say that like they're getting the, the ROI on their time from their training is way more important to them than it is to me. And so I I agree. It it has to be maximized. And so it just depends on, on who you are and, and what's important to you. And I think that's like the first, if I were to ever coach people, which I I don't think I ever would, (laughs) which is good, good news for all the runners out there, (laughs) but like, that would be my first question. Like, what is important to you? Mm -hmm. Like, what are you trying to get out of this? Mm -hmm. Because it's just a very, how hard you can push that person, how hard they want to be pushed, what things you care about, what things you measure, all of that stuff is, it's just different for everyone. I think that's, that's the most important part because you see those people crossing the finish line in six hours, their smile is just as big as Kelvin Kiptum's crossing in two hours and 35 seconds, you know, setting a world record. Yeah. I, I I think, I, I think that's where it always should start. And then from there, what you can do is you can start to figure out what technology is going to fit you know, guiding them to get to their goals. And if you are somebody who is looking to, you know, get a little bit more kind of into this optimal training, kind of like David was talking about, I highly recommend doing some level of physiological profiling, physiological testing, limiter testing, anything like that. If you have any questions actually about that, reach out to me and we can set up a little consult um, because I truly think that that is the place to start with people is do a physiological test and then know what your body, like where where these different zones are occurring and everything like that. Stop taking and chances. retest. Yeah, and retest. Yeah. So so because you you will improve. Yes, and David, and those things will change. David, I want to talk to you about this offline. Uh, I I know you're kind of on a on a strict schedule, so I'll, I'll kind of we'll wrap it up and maybe we'll have David on again because this is a f- phenomenal conversation. I love talking to you, man. Um, yeah, likewise. I'm happy to come back anytime. We can, yeah. you know, you and I have spent hours and hours talking about this. Yeah. And I'm sure we could spend more. Yeah. So uh, you can catch me on Instagram at critical02. As always, uh, direct any conver- or comments and questions over there. You can catch David on Instagram as well at dmelo. So D M E H L O on Instagram. So if you have any questions on his journey, his training journey, other things like that, reach out to him. He's, he's, obviously a super nice guy and i'm not just saying that because he's on the podcast he's he really <laughs> no. is and he he means Please well do. Um, the best the best part about this whole journey for me has been getting to know people the running community is unlike yes. any community i've ever met in my life and so many people have helped me i ran new york city um stride for stride with a girl that i first met at two years old in preschool and it was her 21st marathon and she's a three-hour marathoner wow. and we ran new york in 343 and she literally almost was carrying me the last few miles <laughs> and and it's just it's an incredible community so anything i can do to help anyone or just chat with anyone i'm, I'm always happy to yeah yeah that's awesome and uh you know, with, with that, uh, like I said, if you guys have any questions, please, please let us know and uh, we'll catch you guys in the next one.